Welcome to Ginspired, brought to you by theginshop.ca. This podcast will take you on a journey into the world of gin, where you'll experience this versatile spirit in ways you never thought possible. Now the host of Ginspired, Heather E. Wilson. Hello and welcome to Ginspired, where we talk about and celebrate everything about the wonderful juniper lace spirit called gin. I'm your host, Heather E. Wilson. On today's episode, my guest is Kate Dingwall, wine and spirits expert, journalist, and co-author of our upcoming gin cookbook. Welcome, Kate. I'm so excited that you're here and we're going to talk about the history. I know. I'm so excited. As with all episodes, I like to start by sharing what we are drinking today. And Kate, since you're my guest, you get to go first. What's the drink of the day today? On my first day of of feeling normal after a little bit of bout with my second vaccine. So 5 p.m., I'm going to make myself a very strong all gin martini because I have not been feeling good. And I think that's a reward for getting through that. That is. And as we'll find out, there are health benefits to juniper. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I definitely did have a good amount of tonic as well. So I was in (laughs) the gin frame of mind all through my queasiness. Okay, so today I'm drinking a Colson, which is a yummy cocktail that our listeners will be able to find in our upcoming cookbook. And it's actually named after part of my last name and part of my partner's last name because we came up with it together. His last name's Colbrand, mine's Wilson, so it became a Colson. And it's a combination of peach crown royal, gin, and a splash of orange juice garnished with a peach and a little bit of mint. It is seriously the perfect summer drink that pretty sure everyone's going to be drinking soon. Let's talk about you and gin, because that's why we're here today. What inspired you to go into the world of wine and spirits as a profession? It started a little bit out of necessity. I was doing my undergrad and... Mm -hmm. University wasn't cheap, so I started bartending when I was kind of 17, which was far too young to be legally bartending, but But I got this, uh, someone called in sick, so in I went, and I was so interested in kind of the history behind it all, and the more I started to research how to make these cocktails and how to serve these cocktails, I'm a big history buff, so I kind of went, next thing I know, I went from trying to figure out what a gin and tonic was to like learning all about the history. Wow. Kind of gone on from there. I've gone on to get some of my professional certifications and probably over a decade later, it's become a passion point for me and something I'm really, really interested in. My grandma also loved martinis growing up too, though. So there's a little bit of a connection there. Right. As you and I both know, gin has a really interesting and long history. Most gin lovers, I would say, know about how the Dutch made Jennifer and in the like the 13th century, but it goes back like so much even farther than that, right? And even into ancient Egypt. We were talking about this earlier, but juniper has been a cure for so many ailments for probably thousands and thousands of years. I think tracing back to like 1500 uh, BC, the Egyptians would actually use juniper water as a cure for jaundice and other kind of skin ailments. So they recognized that healing properties of the botanical and that became eventually people started fermenting it and adding a little bit of alcohol it was 
gin's earliest connotations were in a wine for at some point, a kind of tonicky, junipery, berry wine. Wow. And later on, it ended up coming into an early iteration of gin as we know. So there's all of these ties between juniper as a medicine and having it as a fun spirit. So slowly <laughs> over history, it transitioned from being a bit of an ailment to less of an ailment and more of a instigator of fun. <laughs> <laughs> of a gincident. A gincident, yes. <laughs> What exactly is the legal definition of gin today? What makes gin, gin? Juniper is still a central part of gin. And I know so many different distillers use botanicals outside of juniper. They'll Mm -hmm. start with juniper as the base, but maybe lean anywhere from pine to kind of more citrusy herbaceous notes. But gin really is at the heart or juniper is at the heart of the soul of gin. Right. So definitions of gin alter slightly between country and country, but I think predominantly it has to be around 40% ABV, 80% proof, and have that predominant flavor of juniper berries. It always has to have a base of grain. So wheat, barley, rye sometimes as well, unlike vodka, which can use anything from potatoes to milk at points. So gin always has that grain base. Why juniper itself? Like where did that even come from? I know, yes, it was used in medicinal stuff but one day someone just said this one berry is going to make everything going forward like it's kind of crazy well even if you think of the name gin the word gin is based from the dutch word jennifer comes from the latin word for juniper Gin, like even if we're looking at the name gin has that juniper base and even like 1500 a.d when the people started distilling with juniper it was always juniper. juniper. Juniper is the heart and soul throughout history of gin. So right. we're just paying a little, we're tipping our hats to that history. Absolutely. Okay. And I'm going to put you a teeny bit on the spot here. Why was it called Mother's Ruin? Oh, that's a good one. Because um, that's a funny one, I think. So during the gin craze in England, when right when the English adopted gin from the um, the Dutch gin distilleries started popping up all over England, like Northern England, Southern England. It was all everywhere. Not all of them were good. There wasn't really the regulations we have in gin today. Like you didn't really have to use certain ingredients. People were doing it in their bathtubs. People were doing it everywhere. Wow. And came the hot new spirit that so much so that everyone was drinking it. And so many young men were so into bathtub gin and so into kind of like reveling and partying and having that gin moment that they were losing their jobs. And oh my gosh, so much of this gin was so poorly made. Like people would add everything from iodine to add that gin flavoring that you don't get if you don't uh, distill it with botanicals. So some people in order to get that, like, instead of actually using juniper and botanicals when distilling their gin in their house, they just add a little iodine or other chemicals to make it seem like gin. It was actually poisonous. Yeah, yeah. Sounds so toxic. it was very toxic. So we'd have issues from everyone dying from overconsumption to like being poisoned to murder to Eek. insanity from these like poisoned gins. So it became it earned the nickname Mother's Ruin because the poor moms dealing with their loony sons <laughs> and their martini loving. So the women weren't imbibing as much. Not as much. That definitely happened a fair bit, but 
Well, back in that day, men were kind of let loose right. when we were staying home. So, right, true, true. We don't have to go into deep detail, but how ultimately is gin made? Now, I know there's a couple of different types, but let's just start with like traditional London dry gin. Like, that's probably the most juniper forward gin. So, London dry gins entail like Bee Beater, Tanqueray, like Bombay Sapphire. Mm-hmm. And those gins, they you kind of steep that gin in and during the distillation process. And it's going to be very, very juniper forward. It's going to have bright, really kind of that p- traditional, like piney kind of waxy juniper flavors in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a, probably four, I'd say five main types of gin, but London dry is kind of like the quintessential flag bearer for the gin category. Right. And what are the other kind of main kinds? We have Plymouth, which you don't really see a lot. Traditionally, it was made only in Plymouth, England. It's a lot more drier than London gin, and it doesn't have as much, or London dry, and it doesn't have as much of those juniper botanicals. So there's a lot more spice. There's a lot more citrus, a lot more fresh. But there's still only a couple brands that that makes Plymouth gin, maybe Mm. a couple others who make Plymouth style gin. Ooh, we have Old Tom. You don't really see this a lot. It's almost kind of like, it's slightly sweetened. It's, yes, Mm. it's got that juniper base, but it's a little more like saccharine, a little more like sweet than traditional gin. But that was actually one of the biggest cocktail bases in like the early 1900s. People loved old Tom gin because you could balance it out with other flavors and still have a little bit of that sweetness come through. Interesting name, Tom that invented it or some dude named Tom that made it. I actually don't know. I've, in all my research, I've never found out either why. I bet it was some guy who was known in London for yeah. making like the best type of this gin. And somehow, some way, his name has been stuck in history. Stuck with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, and one more kind? Two more. Yeah, Jennifer is kind of like the oh, OG really? style of gin dating back to like 16th century in Holland. Sailors would bring in their grains and different botanicals into the port and the port was quite far from the nearest city. So they would ferment them to kind of give them a bit of extend that lifespan. So you get a lot of juniper, but it's a lot more multi. There's still a couple brands who are doing making Jennifer, but it really died out for a long time when gin moved kind of its production capital over to England. Right. And the Dutch style gins kind of fell out of favor and so English gins like London Dry could thrive. But there's a few brands making them today. It's really interesting. It's kind of a bit yeastier, a bit more bolder flavors, a lot more richer flavors. So it pairs well with more kind of like if you're a rye person or a whiskey person, Jennifer is kind of the gin for you. Interesting. Okay. And the last one. It's a category broadly known as New American or New World gins. So they're the new gin producers who have kind of been like, you know what? London Dry is great, but let's try something different. They're really rewriting the rules. They're using anything from local ingredients to like completely skipping juniper, which you can't do, but calling (laughs) themselves a gin. (laughs) So they're just really having fun with it. And they're giving the category a lot more life, especially since we've seen like things like flavored vodkas kind of come to prominence over the last 20 years. They're giving younger drinkers who want those fun new flavors, something to drink in the gin category. Right. In the last few years, gin has seen a huge renewal in the category. Like it just blows my mind. I've been a gin drinker since 
well, university. So back then, all we had was the Beefeater, the Gordons, and the uh, Blue Sapphire even. But now, now, all these craft gins are out there. It's like, holy schmoly, like, it's just huge renewal of the category, which makes me very happy. Why do you think that suddenly is? Well, in North America, we've had a big craft whiskey bloom over the last maybe 15 years. All of a sudden, craft distillers are realizing you don't really need to be Well, they want to make their own iterations of bourbon, Tennessee whiskey, scotch, Canadian whiskey, et cetera. And they're realizing we really have the foundations in place. There's lots of still producers. There's so many really cool like iterations of these brown spirits you can make um, and they can do it themselves. So lots of really interesting entrepreneurs are beginning to make whiskey themselves. But the thing with whiskey is it needs to age. Right, right, right. Anywhere from two years up. It's not going to be good if you bottle it before then. So a lot of distillers are making whiskey. They're putting it in their barrels to let it sit and age and get that beautiful like age statement and that brown color on there. And they've got nothing to do. What are you going to sell for the next two years? T-shirts? You're not going to make enough money on that. So a lot of them have started making gins and vodkas. And because we're seeing a lot of those really interesting young distillers who want to do something cool in the whiskey category... They're going to want to do something cool in the gin and vodka category to kind of set them apart and make that money while they're trying to age their whiskey and get their distillery all set up. So we've seen a lot of people doing that. We've seen a lot of really cool whiskey distilleries turning out that. Even things like Brook Lottie, which is one of my favorite scotch distilleries out on Isla, makes a really fantastic gin called The Botanist. Yes, I love The Botanist. I love The Botanist. Absolutely. Yes. So all wild foraged in Scotland, beautiful gin, but they kind of did the same thing while they're letting their barrels sit. They're making gin. Very smart. Very smart. Very smart. And we get to benefit from that. Exactly. But also over the last, like maybe in the eighties, people started drinking a lot of vodka. Yes. I remember that. The vodka craze of the eighties. In order to compete, gin distillers had to get a little creative, right? Everyone had had their London dry gin. They were bored of that. They wanted vodka. So they wanted new flavors. They wanted sweeter flavors. They wanted fun party drinks. So gin distillers kind of started getting a little creative as well. They started playing with the botanical mixes. They started making like pink flavor gins, pink gins, et cetera. It's kind of, and people started to realize you don't need to follow these specific distilling rules that they had have followed forever. You don't need to make the perfect London dry gin. You can have fun with it. You can make your favorite citrus gin. You could make a seaweed gin. You can yes. category kind of broke open and all of a sudden there was so much room for innovation. Exactly. And that's why I like to tell people who may not have tried gin in the past couple of years, it's not your grandmother's gin. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not that. I mean, yeah, you could probably find those, but there's so much variety and so many amazing flavors out there. I'm willing to bet that if you are a spirit drinker at all, that we could find a gin that you'd like. Exactly. Like, even if you're a vodka fan, if you're a whiskey fan, there's something for you. Absolutely. There's even aged gin now, which is crazy to me. I've been drinking it in kind of like Negroni. Yes. Because it adds a little bit of that like Boulevardier element that you want from a rye, but it's a fun little bridge between the whiskey and gin world. It absolutely is because you can definitely taste the whiskey notes in it. Absolutely. And especially in the summer, if I like 
want a whiskey drink, but I don't want that heavier, like nightcap feel to my cocktail. The aged gin is a nice little bridge between that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I like to end our episodes with something fun, maybe your own gincident story. You know, most of my guests have some pretty fun little stories. Let's hear a gincident story for you. Oh, this is, so my grandma is a notorious martini drinker, Mm. loves them. This day we still go for martinis almost during COVID, not every week, but we used to go every single Friday at 4 p.m. And my grandpa was always like, you can't have too many martinis, Karen. (laughs) You end up buying things, you end up cranky and mad at me. So my grandma got around this by buying a cocktail shaker and telling my grandpa it only had enough room for one martini. (laughs) So for decades, she would make this her one martini a night in her one cocktail shaker. She was (laughs) just making one drink. And finally, I don't remember who noticed it, but I think my dad went to make her a martini and was like, this is a massive shaker. Why are you making enough martinis for three people, grandma? (laughs) And it turns out for probably about 15 years, my grandma had been fooling my grandpa by saying she was just making one gin martini. But it turns out she was making the most honking massive martini you ever did see. That's hilarious. <laughs> I need like, to I'm just it. having one drink tonight, Bill. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we know how to get around that one drink rule. I was going to say, I've adopted that process. <laughs> yeah, man, she sounds awesome. Super fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you have it. A little taste, a little bit of history of gin category. Thank you so much, Kate, for being here. It's such a pleasure. And be sure to check out the show notes for links to Kate and the ginshop.ca for all your gintastic clothing and gin novelty needs. Thank you. Until next time, remember, it's always gin o'clock somewhere. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ginspired, brought to you by the ginshop.ca. If we've ginspired you, drop us a note. Heather at the ginshop.ca. We may even read your email or feature your ginspirational story in an upcoming episode. And remember to follow us on social media. Until next time, let the party be gin. <laughs>